0: No longer is the world asking the question, prove to me that God exists. Oh, there are those places and those people and those quarters that do ask that question, but fundamentally, even those people are not asking, prove to me that God exists. Not in a world where 80% of the people say they believe there is a God or some kind of higher being. What they're asking is, show me why it matters. Show me that it matters. Well, as I said, we're going to think about unpacking what this love can look like when we love like Jesus, when we love like that. As we did last week, um, this week as you walk out, you're going to receive a little um, uh, piece of paper like this, half sheet of paper that has some key quotes and some scriptures for you to reflect on through the week. You can grab one of those as you're going out um, this morning. But um, first, we're going to kind of begin today with an eye exam. I've discovered something, and maybe you have too, but I'm not sure, I, I think I need to send a letter to Amazon, because I'm an Amazon Prime member and I buy a lot of books. I read a lot of books, I buy a lot of books, and um, we have a little competition in our office to see who gets more books. I will tell you that I am not winning that competition, I won't tell you which staff member it is, But there's books always flying around, but here's the problem, this is why I need to send Amazon a letter. I'm noticing that when I read these books, I open these books, for some reason they've now are printing books where the type is blurry. And the other thing I've noticed is that I don't understand. These are, these are, you know, with all of the dynamic things we do with technology today, I open these books and the words jump up and down. And I go, what is going on? So I think I need to contact Amazon and say, something's happening with these books that you're sending to me. The other thing I noticed is that, um, you know, I, my, I recently, my computer just decided to um, die. Um, a seven years old, wonderful laptop. It decided to die. I don't know why after I dumped coffee on it. I don't know why it did, but it did. So I ended up getting another computer and laptop, and I also noticed this about those, those crazy computers they're putting out now. When I open up my, my Word documents or anything on the computer, for some reason, they are now producing these computers with tiny type and you can't see them. And no matter how hard I try, I don't know what's going on. Then I went to the eye doctor and um, you probably noticed that I am wearing more often and often and oftener These progressive bifocals, and um, because they went and they examined my eyes, and they discovered that I have a specific problem, especially in my left eye, that's continuing to get worse. And my uh, my my suspicion is, some of you have the same problem. I have a serious astigmatism in my left eye. So, what's an astigmatism? Go ahead, put that definition. I think we have that definition up there. Uh, Keep going. We're going to catch up there. There we go. Astigmatism. Next, go ahead. Definition. It's a noun, and here it is. It's a defect in the eye or in a lens caused by a deviation from spherical curvature, which results in distorted images as light rays are prevented from meeting at a common focus. So what does that mean? That means that letters print in a book jump up and down. It's hard to come into focus, but I now have these amazing, amazing technology of progressive bifocal glasses. And I put these on, and because they're bifocals, I look out, and you all look beautiful. And I come over here, and I go, that looks amazing. Now, I continue to struggle with this, and and every once in a while, I I take them off, and I go, I'm I'm just going to do it. And every once in a while, while I'm preaching, you'll notice I'll I'll have notes and I won't have my glasses. You'll also notice I'm standing back here to try to see them. And that's true. It's very true. But I can't do that anymore. But like when I look there, yep, there, there's that problem. It must be my computer. The way it's printing things. But these amazing glasses have corrected my vision in such a way that suddenly the words on the page stand still. And I don't have to carry 27 pages of notes into the pulpit because I'm running at a size 48 font to be able to see it. When it comes to loving like Jesus, the starting place is maybe not where you think it is or where I think it is. But the starting place is with our vision. It is how we see is what we see Uh, the condition that we all wrestle with i think i know that i wrestle with it this this um, series and even this message today convicts me of the condition that i wrestle with i i wrestle with spiritual astigmatism that was the primary problem of the religious leaders of jesus day as well we call them the pharisees but i struggle with spiritual astigmatism It's a condition that causes me to have a distorted view, especially of other people, and even of God. It causes me to not really see people. And so with that in mind, we're going to listen to some words from the divine optometrist, Jesus. And we're going to try to learn from his example. We're going to try to glean some hints as to how to address this issue of stigmatism jesus had entered into his ministry with great force really when you read the gospels but he entered in and he walked into a temple and the bible says he went back to his hometown it says he went back to the town he grew up in nazareth and he walks into the temple and he does what only rabbis were supposed to do he goes and he picks up a scroll and he begins to read and this is what he read next slide The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Bible tells us that everyone was watching him. They saw him and he said this, today this is real. Here in me. This is how he said it. Today, these words are fulfilled in your presence. Do you see it? He comes to bring recovery of sight for the blind. Other translations have put it this way new eyes for the blind. I like the way the New Century version puts it. It says, tell them, I'm going to tell the blind that they can see again. Those are such hopeful words for us. And when it comes to loving like Jesus, they're crucial. We need Jesus to heal our eyes so that we can see people, so that we can really, really see people. Now, if you're reading the book, Love Like That by Les Parrott, he uses the term being mindful. And I think that's a good term, being mindful of people. But, but for me, it's this whole idea of actually seeing someone. Last, last week, we talked about the first thing we often see is the clothes that people wear. And so we use that as a metaphor of putting on this love of Jesus so that people would see that. But sometimes when we look at people in our world, we just that's our first judgment call with the car they drive or the clothes they're wearing or or the the, the way they are acting at some certain time and we don't really, really see them. And yet we must. Now at the outset, what we're talking about is we're talking about a love that's generated from God. Remember what we read earlier, the the Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus said. It's in this relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God generates this love within us. And when this love is generated not by me trying to be some good person, but when I allow God to generate this love in my life, the fundamental thing that happens is this love is self-sacrificial. This love is self-giving. I I like the old term self-donation. We'll get back to that later in the series. But this love is focused on selflessness, rather than self-absorbency. And that's a really important part for us. Remember what Ephesians 5 said, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. And so the healing of this spiritual astigmatism doesn't start with just getting more knowledge about how to love, but it actually starts with a prayer. It actually starts in our first response category of prayer. It's praying and asking for the Spirit of God to fill us. It's praying and saying, Jesus, would you take over my heart and my life? Would you fill me with your presence and with your love? And when that happens, we then are in a posture, if you would, to ask ourselves two questions. Because these are the questions that really get to the heart of the matter. The first one is this. So where do my interests really lie in life? Where does my interest Really lie now in another place in the bible paul the apostle was talking about jesus and the church and what we're to be like and this is what he says to the little church in philippi in chapter two of the book of philippians he says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset of christ jesus he's really saying right in your relationships love like that that's really what he's saying right but but How how do you define that? Well, what's interesting is Paul defined that two verses before. Next slide, please. Next one. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, if you want a real, clear definition of what it means to love like Jesus... To love like that. I think that's a pretty good one, don't you? So, so Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, write that down, underline that, think about that, and say, if I'm going to understand what a definition is to love like that is, that's it right there. That's a powerful thought. Because you see, the primary culprit that contributes to our spiritual stigmatism is what Paul is trying to address here. Let me, let me put it this way, All right. So this is one of my sets of my cycling glasses. And if you know, boy, it's kind of dark in here all of a sudden. If You notice they're mirrored glasses, right? So um, I have all kinds of pictures of me cycling. It's always funny. I look at them and I could always see wherever I am by looking in the glasses of the picture. I see a little lighthouse over here or my wife taking a picture or something like this. But imagine going through life with glasses like these. However, the mirrored lenses... Are reversed so right now if you look at these lenses like if I come in here really close to Erica if I go hi Erica how are you doing she sees Erica right in her in my glasses right but imagine going through life where these mirrored lenses are reversed and as you look through there's sunglasses so I can look through but as it's reversed I look through them through everything and what do I see I see myself right well, this is the metaphor that Les Parrott uses to help us think about going through life focused on our own interests. As we walk through life, it's like we're walking through life with sunglasses like these sunglasses that are reversed. And all I see, every perspective, relationships, um, work, um, even church, my faith in God, everything I go through looking first through the perception of me. Looking first on the focus of me and so this idea of the spiritual um astigmatism if you will means i'm too busy making life about me i'm focusing on my interests in such a way that it limits my ability to see people and so i need the spirit of the lord to help me see as Jesus saw. Remember, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, so that, if I'm going to love like him, I can proclaim, as he did, the Lord's favor, so that I can bring grace to people in my world. Now, there's another word for interests, and that's the word agendas. And that, that leads me to this very heart-stopping question, which is what are my agendas, what are my agendas that get in the way of seeing people? What are my agendas that get in the way of seeing people? It is our focus on our agendas that prevents us or at least hinders us from seeing others seeing beyond our wants, our expectations, our preferences. In other words, our own interests and agendas. Don't, don't, don't say to me, oh, Pastor Jeff, I, I don't have any agenda. When we were kids, we'd say this, liar, liar, pants on fire. Because every one of us, every one of us has interests agendas and things that we are prone to make essential the temptation you see is to make my view my opinion my interests or my agenda primary the temptation is to take my agenda and fix people with it to straighten them out to get them to my view perhaps But what they really need to know is that we see them. And in seeing them, we value them and we acknowledge them not as projects or problems or or objects to be used to fulfill our agenda, but rather as image-bearing people. That's what we see in Jesus. Jesus truly saw people. Um, His agenda... Looked beyond his own interests to the interests of other people. All throughout the Gospels, all over the place. For example, Matthew chapter 9. He sees the crowd. The crowd is like harassing him. And that's what his disciples would think. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says he saw the crowd and he said they looked harassed. People who needed a shepherd. But he saw them, right? In Luke chapter 13, verse 2, it says, when Jesus saw her, what's happening there is there's a woman there. And the woman is sick. She's very sick. It's a Sunday. It's a Sabbath. Not a Sunday. It's a Sabbath. a Saturday. In our case, maybe a Sunday, depending on how you feel about that. But here's a woman who's very sick, and Jesus sees that she's sick. She's, she's bent over. The Bible says she's been like this for a long time because of her sickness. And he says, woman, be well. See, he sees a a woman who's sick, who needs grace and help and mercy, but the Pharisees are over here, and they start hammering him for healing her on the Sabbath. All they see is someone who's not doing it right, and Jesus sees a woman who needs grace. Turning around, Jesus saw them. John one thirty eight Saw whom? He saw a couple of disciples of John the Baptist who were trying to figure out what it meant to follow God. And they were just kind of in his... They were following behind him. And Jesus turned around and went, well, at here. Look who's over here. And he said, why don't you guys follow me? But he saw their hunger and the desire. Jesus saw... The man at the pool of Bethesda lying there. Jesus wasn't the only one who saw him there. In fact, people had seen him there for 38 years. Now, think about that. How many people walked by him and never said to him, Would you like to be made well? He said, No one will bring me into the pool because they mystically thought, mistakenly thought, that the pool had healing qualities. That an angel would stir it and people would get And they were, that wasn't true, but that's what their mythology taught them, their Jewish mythology. And here's Jesus. Jesus, (laughs) Jesus didn't want to get him to the pool. He wanted to get him healed. And he looked at him. He saw the man there. And then Jesus saw a woman weeping. He saw a sister of one of his best friends weeping at the death of Lazarus. But he didn't just see her weeping he also saw her weeping with a question and the question was why weren't you here it would have mattered you see he saw a woman with grief and a woman with doubts can you bring your doubts to jesus because he already sees them and loves us in them and then In the moment of time where Jesus could be expected to think only of himself most, which was the cross, the Scripture said when Jesus saw his mother there. If there was ever a time when Jesus could think only of himself, it was the cross. And yet here he is, he sees his mother there, and he ensures the care of his mother through the Apostle John. Now, I've taken time to, to look at that because Jesus sees what others do not see jesus chooses to see the pain and potential the problems and the possibilities of people that he encountered and here's the truth don't stop in this moment in the messenger go well we're talking about jesus i mean come on jesus of course jesus could see them well jesus models for us something He models for us choosing something other than our own agenda. And so the truth is, we all can choose an agenda other than our own. All of us. It's very tempting to list quote after quote after quote from some of the things Les Parrott's saying, but this one's worth it. We have the ability at any moment to press the pause button on what we want. That's the moment we see people. That's the moment we make room for love. When we press the pause button. When Jeff pressed the pause button, presses the pause button on this is what I want. This is what I prefer. This is what my view is. And when I press the pause button on my agenda Potential to love opens up. So, so where do my interests lie? Where does your interest lie? But I said to you that there were two questions that we can handle. Once we ask the Spirit of God to, to really begin to do this work and generate this love in us, the second question is, will I then embrace living the inefficient life? Now that sounds like so countercultural for us, doesn't it? Because we are, we, are, we are wired to live this productive, efficient, successful life. That's what we're taught. That's, I was taught that from the time I was a little boy. That that's what my parents' aspiration for me was. So how do we think this through? Well, probably the story in the Bible that is best helpful for that is the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10. Uh, whether you're a Christian or not. If you go onto the street today and you say to someone, could you tell me the story of the Good Samaritan? Most people will give you some version of it, right? They they know what a Good Samaritan is. We have laws called Good Samaritan laws. So people have the idea of what a Good Samaritan is. And you know know the story. The man was beaten. He was robbed. He was left by the side of the road. That road to Jericho was known for this, by the way. It was known for this happening to people. And along came a priest, and along came a Levite, and you know the story there. They, they, they kind of saw that. It's very clear in Scripture that they were aware the guy was there, but they had other things they needed to do. They had religious things they needed to do, and so they scurried on by, and then the Samaritan came along who was despised. He was the worst guy. Who could, he, In fact, by touching the Samaritan, by touching that Jewish man who was broken and bruised, he made the Jewish man unclean. How interesting is that? So, Good Samaritan. We all kind of know that story. We know the idea. But when you read the full story, we always walk away, and I always ask this, how in the world could the priest and Levite, the most outwardly righteous and religious people of the day, completely and knowingly avoid the victim of a brutal beating and crime of such injustice? That's what it is. It's a brutal beating, and it's a crime of injustice. That we're witnessing in Luke chapter 10. How could they, how could these religious, spiritual people ignore that man? But then I remember the man who holds the sign at exit six, as I'm driving by to go to Starbucks, to get my Starbucks, so I can get back to the office as quickly as possible to do some religious business. And then I remember the woman on the other end of the line who's not being very helpful at all, though I'm trying to get some spiritual resources. And I think about my impatience towards her. And then I remember that family member who is really not living up to my expectations and is not doing what I want them to do as I then try to pray for them to know Jesus. And I asked the question, how can the priest and Levite And I remember how often I only think about my interests and how I don't see others when I do that. And then, right then, right then, I become the priest and the Levite. I am the priest and the Levite until I set aside my agenda and become less focused on myself and more focused on God's agenda. What is God's agenda? We heard that today. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But you see, the agenda of Jesus has a problem. And this other quote from Les Parrott, loving like Jesus is not efficient It takes time away from our agenda-driven pace. And there, my friends, for you and me, in 21st century Nashville, New Hampshire, and surrounding area America is the rub. The pace of this world does not lend itself to us being mindful of God and others. Though we have bought the pace hook, line, and sinker and justified it in so many ways. This pace prevents us from being aware, from seeing God and seeing others. Because loving like Jesus is not an efficient way to live. Because it means allowing for God's interruptions in our lives. What we interpret as interruptions though, what we see, what we interpret as inefficiencies, especially when it comes to seeing people, may very well be divine appointments that God has given to us. I I was raised a performance-oriented worker, POW. All right? That's the way I was raised. So I find myself, like the Spirit of God, bringing me up short on occasion, where all of a sudden I see it. Oh, that's an appointment from him. Or I see it afterwards. Oh, man, I missed that because I'm always moving down the road. But from Jesus, we learned something pretty amazing. And all the people he saw and the, the mission he had, the agenda he took on. Dylan Burroughs said, when Jesus was interrupted, he started where he was and helped those in need who were nearest to him. Jesus illustrates that our greatest mission is often the person, Right in front of us. But as I said last week, that doesn't begin with what we do or what we know, other than it begins with knowing we are loved and being loved into this way of Jesus, being loved because Jesus loves us. So, how can we focus on that when we are not carving space in life to be mindful? first of god what are some ways to calm the chaos of business in your life and be more mindful of god and others an amazingly instructive scripture is found in romans chapter 12 says do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind Now, when we start talking about the pattern of this world, we often start thinking of things like immorality. You know, we think about um, rejection of God. We think about all those things. But you know what? The pattern of this world is an agenda-paced world of efficiency and production at the expense of people. That's the pattern of this world, one of the patterns of this world. And no one is saying that we should not be productive people. And no one is saying we should not be efficient in our production. But when it comes to relationship with God, efficiency is not the goal. Renewing the mind calls us to let go of control of our agenda. That might mean changing our schedules. That might mean adjusting our habits. Whatever we have to do to make space for God... And so what are some of those ways to calm the chaos of business in your life, in my life, where we can make space for God and make space for others? You know, Jesus made the needed time for God. How many times do we see in the Gospels that Jesus goes away? Usually he's interrupted, by the way, when he goes away. But he goes away to be with the Father over and again. He's an example of loving God so much that he made time to hear his whisper. Loving God so much that we make time to hear his whisper and allow his agenda to become our agenda. And then see, to really see people, which requires inefficiency. So am I willing to embrace the inefficient life, to be present to people, to see them, to count them as the people made in the image of God. Not through the lens of my special glasses that look only at my own agenda, but through His eyes, where I then become the proof of his love. And then we can, as Ephesians 5-2 in the message paraphrase says, observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. So as the worship team comes Just one more question. So, how did today's eye exam go? Stand with me, please. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace to us and the way in which you see us. We know you do because we we read in the Gospels of how you really saw people. You were mindful of them. We pray today, God, that you will help us to seek your Holy Spirit to fill our lives, that your agenda becomes our agenda. Help us, God, to hit the pause button on our agenda, on our interests, on our ways, on our views, on our preferences, and help us to really see one another and the people you bring into our lives that we might be the proof of your love in jesus name